Uh, we're in our Advent season, and each week we kind of, we're working through a different theme that kind of prepares our hearts for the right celebration of the day when we reflect and, re- and celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of life and light and salvation in our world. We don't think of repentance, but, but today I, we're going to, and, uh, and, and as we think about what we talked about last week, looking at anticipation, and, and in that anticipation we have this reality of hope and purpose in Christ that He has come and that He's coming again. And, and today, I pray that as we think about what we talked about last week, um, that repentance we would see should be a natural part of our Christmas celebration. So with that being said, I want to pray for us and then we're going to get into our text. Um, God, we love you. And um, we thank you for today. We thank you that we have a chance to come together, Lord, each of us as, as sojourners, as seekers on the way, Lord, as people who come in to this room kind of with all kinds of life and experience and expectations and belief, Lord, all, just this melting pot of, of who we are, but yet you in your goodness and grace meet us right here, invite us in right here, right now. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever our expectation is today, Lord, that, that you would take that and make it productive for your purpose in our lives, Lord, that we would understand your goodness. We would understand our need for you. We would understand the joy of life and salvation in Christ. And, Lord, part of that is recognizing our great need. So, Lord, as we take these few minutes to look at this, this natural response of repentance and a life unto Christ, Lord, that it would not be one of just this heavy-laden thickness and, 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 and burden, but one of joy and gratefulness that you would bring us to a place of, of humility that we would know freedom. So God, we give you this time, or speak through me, in spite of me, take the words that come out of my mouth, catch them aflame by your Holy Spirit, or that we could all be transformed and live as light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go ahead and read Romans 13, 11 through 14. Okay, here we go. It says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. and Make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. So, so not one of your typical Christmas texts, but, uh, but uh, it's, it's perfect for today. Um, and we're just going to jump right in because we're just spending a few minutes in this because our whole, I, I, love, I love our Advent season services. There's just so much about them that, that preaches the truth. And, and so um, this is just a small part. I mean, we, we've already seen great truth uh, be, be taught in song in prayer, in dance, um, and we're just going to continue. So, so in verse 11, Paul is just getting right to it. He's calling us to this reality, and he says, wake up. He just says, wake up. And the assumption is that you're asleep. If you need to wake up, you're asleep. So he's calling the people that are in this slumber to wake up, and he's saying, like, there's something real here to wake up to. Your faith in Christ. Again, he's talking to, to Jewish and Gentile believers here, those who have placed their faith in Christ, who, are, who confess that, but he's saying you are slumbering. 
He's saying there's something real here. Wake up. There's something real. It's more, it's more than just more than just behavior. It's more than just a moral framework. Again, there is something real because it is about a person. We talked a lot about that last week. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it's not just something, it's someone. Remember last week, as we said, anticipation, that we are seeking a person. He has come, he is coming again. We mentioned that kingdom tension last week, and we have that same tension today of this already not yet work of the kingdom that it has come and it is it is coming to be fulfilled in full when Christ returns. We have that same tension today in our salvation. Did you see what it says? It says, wake up from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And again, he's talking to those who have professed Christ, talking to those who are saved. But he's saying, yet your salvation is closer, it's coming nearer. So what is he talking about? It's this already, not yet tension that, that here's the reality of what Paul is pointing out the reality of what salvation in Christ is. We are saved and we are being saved. See, in Christ, when we are saved in Christ, the redemptive work of Christ is complete. When we believe and confess that He is Lord, we are saved. We are given His righteousness. We are, we are innocent before God. Not just that He didn't, not just that He said, okay, I'm not going to look at it, but Jesus took on our sin, gave us His righteousness. So the redemptive work of Christ is complete. So it's now. We experience that. We live in that. It's reality. The sanctifying work of Christ, what is that? It's the becoming more like Him as His truth, working through the Holy Spirit, makes us more like Christ. The sanctifying work of Christ is in progress. We are set apart, set apart, set apart fully in Christ. Yes, you can giggle. I know, it's good. We're, uh, my kids aren't in here. They would have really laughed. Um, but we are set apart fully in Christ as sinners made saints, set apart for His holy purpose, but yet we are being made more like Him. That's the sanctifying work of Christ, and it's in progress. And then we have the completed work of Christ, the, the, the day that when Christ comes, when He returns and claims His people, and the day that His kingdom is fulfilled and all is right when there is no more sickness, no more death, no more tear, that is still to come. So the redemptive work is complete, the sanctifying work is in progress, the completed work of Christ is yet to come. So we see this, this same tension of salvation, that we are saved and we are being saved. So to help us understand the implications here, Paul gets, he gets symbolic, right? He gets symbolic in verse 12 as he uses this dark and light motif. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Again, he's talking about the time has come, right? So he's just calling him, says, the, the night is gone. The days that you lived in darkness are gone. The days that you were wandering around aimlessly, grasping for hope, grasping for meaning, are gone. Because the light, the day is at hand because Jesus has come. He, the word has become flesh. Light has entered in. He incarnated into our life. He says, so then... Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Let us walk knowing that we are seen. Let us walk knowing that now is the time for action. You sleep at night. You work in the day. 
Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. He's just covering the gambit here, right? He's covering it all. He's not just being specific, just these. He's saying, hey, the way of living as if life doesn't matter, the way of living as if you're ruled by the flesh and that you are identified as sin is gone. He says, let's walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. So make no mistake, this is a call to reflect on your salvation in Jesus Christ. We, we cannot forget how throughout all of Scripture, Jesus is related to light and salvation is shown of, to be in the light. John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I and the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. So it's not just that I am an object in darkness and light is sitting on me and I can step back out of it, but it's that I have become the light of Christ. It is an utter transformation, a complete change. And this is what Paul is calling. He's saying, wake up. He's saying, this is not just activity. It's not just come and go as you please. It's not just some compartmentalized life. It's all of who you are. And if you think it's anything different, you're slumbering. Wake up. It says, so just remember the day of your salvation. When we think about this, remember the day of your salvation. What was life like before? What was your hope? What was your purpose what was your joy? Was there any? Did you see it exposed as not? Did you see it exposed as empty? If you're still in that place of seeking and considering, be really honest. Like, where does it all go? Scripture says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So if you're in this place of seeking, what are you working for? What are you building for? What are you planning for? What are you living for? So whether you're saved, consider, your, consider that day of salvation and remember it and, and, and just identify with it once again. As, as David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And if you're still in that place of seeking, be really honest and just play it out. What's the meaning of any of this if there is not eternal hope in Christ? So Paul's just laying it out there. He's saying, hey, again, he's speaking to the Christ follower. He's saying, you've tasted You've seen. You're changed. He's saying don't waste your life. Don't waste your opportunity. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your responsibility. Wake up. I think about I, I, my first jobs were in places like Kroger, like Bag Boy. Um, I worked at Walmart. I worked in, I had some really fun jobs. Uh, I did telemarketing. Um, but there was this phenomenon, and actually I experienced it in school way before that. Like elementary school, you see this, and, and, and you have your teacher, and, and they have their, I don't know what it's called, but someone's coming to observe them. And they tell the students, like, be on your best behavior. And you notice, like, they teach in a different way that day. So, like, you experience it then, but then it goes on to, to work. And I remember, like, the district manager's coming today, so we really need to do it well today. Like, you got to, and, and like, all of my life I've seen that. Like, okay, the, the boss is coming, so do it right. And Paul's kind of, he's kind of following that same idea. And the fact, the point here is like he's saying, time's up. He says, if you've never done it right before, now is the time. 
to do it right. If you've never considered the implications of what you're here for, what your purpose is, why you're doing what you're doing, what's at stake, consider now. In that example, in the absence of your boss, your work can remain in the dark. Right? That's kind of the idea. When the boss is not there, your work's in the dark. When your boss is there, your work's in the light. It's all shown for what it is. Paul is calling us to this fact that our work cannot remain in the dark because the one we live to please is ever-present. We've been given relationship. The Holy Spirit is in us. It is constant. Not only that, but you've been made light. You have the illumination of the Spirit. It doesn't come and go. You're not praying, Lord, let me know your presence more today. I need your presence more today so that I can succeed. He is ever-present. He is ever-near because of the work of Christ, because of you having the Holy Spirit in Him. Every bit of you is redeemed. This also calls us to the attention of the reality that, 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 uh, that, we're, that we should be overwhelmed. We, we should be overwhelmed by the reality of, of who Christ is in our lives. We should be utterly just taken over by the reality that Christ and His kingdom mission in our lives is what it's all about. What does it say if you only work hard when the boss is present? What does it say? It says you don't respect the boss because it only matters when he's watching. It says you don't care about the company because it only matters when he's watching. It says you don't value the product because it only matters when he's watching. I've always been annoyed with this idea of like, do your best today because someone's watching. It's always just, it's always graded against me of like, hey, let's just teach people to do their best every day. And I'm thankful that I had parents that, that kind of hit me over the head with 110% in everything you do. 110%, 110%, like never give less. And I'm grateful for that. And that's probably colored that more so than some noble or honorable thing. I just had that wired in me from, from a young age. But that idea just always kind of grated against me. I was like, wouldn't it be more productive just to teach people to do, to do their best, to teach them how to be self-sufficient, to teach them how to take responsibility? And, and so we, we see that here. Let me get back on my train of thought. <clears throat> when we think about, do we respect the boss? Do we care about the company? Do we value the product? The question is, is like, do you know God? Are you invested in his kingdom purpose? And have you truly tasted the grace of the gospel of Jesus? Because that's what this work is about. That's what's happened in us. We've been invited in, and that's all because Jesus came. Paul is challenging us here. He's calling us to consider what the priorities of our lives pursue. Being that we are saved and we are being saved, we see that our salvation has a trajectory. It has a trajectory. Oh, no. It does. It has a trajectory. Paul wants us to examine whether or not our lives follow this trajectory. Do we live for, the, for this world only? or in the reality that there's another world to come. So here's the interesting thing, here's the interesting thing thinking about this at Christmas time. Because there's a great 
tragic irony to this at Christmas. The tragic irony of Christmas is that the tendency that comes out of us where we want the best of this world, the things, the stuff, the experience, the emotions, the circumstances, where we want the best of this world, where we, let me just start from the beginning again. The tragic irony of Christmas is that the tendency that comes out of us where we want the best of this world that it has to offer, it fights against the reality that we are commanded and invited to devote ourselves to the God that has made a way for us to have entry into the next world in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Satan is conniving. He's crafty. The very thing that should draw us in, in the very moment, the very, the very reality, like Christmas gives us great opportunities we talked about last week. Every song, every light, every cell should remind us of the great work of Christ. Once again, we see that so often we just get pulled into the things of this world, but forget that God, we have the opportunity to devote our lives to Him, the one who gives us entry into the next. Jesus is so much more than our boss. He is our glorious King. He's our King. Does our life sing, the, sing with the voices of heaven that we see in Revelations, Revelation 11.15? It says this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Is this the song of your life? Does Jesus claim the throne of your life? So in a very real sense, we are to fight against sin in our lives. We are to fight to take it off and put on Christ. Therefore, you are called to a life of repentance. Repentance is coming to the reality of our need of our sin and turning away from it and moving towards God. That's the picture of repentance. That is the life we're being called to here, the taking off of the old way of life and putting on the new way of life. In fact, this is what Paul says in, thir in Romans 13, 14. It says, but, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So in the first sense, we put on the righteousness of Christ in salvation that we've already talked about, that in confession and belief, he takes our sin, takes our wrath, and gives us his righteousness and his standing before God. Um, also, we put on the life of Christ as we follow him. Salvation is so much more than just eternal place. It is present purpose because it is a call to follow Christ, to follow him. As we said last week, we don't just seek an emotional feeling, a positive circumstance, or a moral framework. We seek a person. The trajectory of our salvation should be that we put on more and more of Jesus every day as Christ followers. That by the work of the Holy Spirit, Christ can become more and more alive in us. So one last thought to close. So in case you're thinking that the drive of this is just about us knowing and doing correct things. Let us look at the previous verses. Actually, I'm just going to summarize them. Paul basically reiterated the second greatest commandment, doing that assuming the first to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But he says that all of the commandments given of God are summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is that phrase, that statement that leads him to say, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. That's, that's the flow of thought. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the point of all of this is that people would know the love of God. To live with purpose, urgency, and consistency, the drive to do that, the, the, the call and compelling to put on Christ should result in loving 
your neighbor in a way that reveals the love of God shown in Jesus Christ. That the God of heaven came down. He took on flesh. The one who was just and, and demanded justice became the one who satisfied that own command, his own command. God is concerned with our holiness because our holiness, our Christ-likeness, is for his glory. It points to him and it is his glory that draws all people to himself. Not us. His character, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his, his, his passion that comes through us is what draws unto him, not us. The call to a holy life is meant to reveal a God worthy surrendering to, to all the world around us. When our life of holiness in Christ is one of affection and not religiosity, guilt, or legalism, you'll better watch, you better just watch out. You better watch out. Because your life, you know, we hear in Scripture that your life is not your own, and that's because it belongs to God. He bought it with the price of Christ. But it also just means like, hey, the purpose of your life is not your own. And if this is your way of life, you will see what that means because all of a sudden people will be coming to you because they will see something different. They will taste something real. Because it's the substance of heaven. It's the substance of the character of God. It's the reality of Him. So why is repentance important? Because it takes off the old and it puts on the new and you shine the light of Jesus into the world and you call people into hope and love. The world is sticky. It's, 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 it's dangerous like to have conversations and we get so tied up on, on like how we say things. And if you want to proclaim the truth rightly, if you want to proclaim it without shame and see it have an effect for people coming to hope and salvation in Christ, meaning that they are laying down things in their lives that they think are the most precious things in the world, that only happens through this life that, is, that is, has the, the, the trajectory of salvation in Christ. The put, taking off and the putting on. So today, let us Repent. Let us repent of our nearsightedness. Let us repent of our unbelief. Let us repent of our slumber. Let us confess. Let us walk in the light. Let us put on Jesus. I'm going to pray. We'll head into a time of reflection in Advent. So God, we love you. And we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you that you are real. We are not just pursuing um, more morality. We're not just pursuing to get our scales to measure right, but we are su- pursuing a person, and that is Jesus. Lord, in him we know you. In him we are known by you. And in him there is no fear. So, Lord, let us live a way that invites people in to that reality. Let us love our neighbors well, all for your glory. In Jesus' name.